Welcome back to Primer, the podcast about all things Amazon. This week, I spoke with Jonathan Bailey and Ted Min, two members of Amazonians United, an organization of Amazon workers across the United States. Before we get to our conversation, the usual housekeeping. I keep all the episodes of this show free for obvious reasons, but to compensate me for the project, I have a Patreon. It's patreon.com forward slash primer podcast. If you sign up, the episodes are all there, but you'll also get show notes, which are brief annotated bibliographies with some key sources that I use in the episode, as well as video of some of our interviews. And of course, you'll get my gratitude. To the 74 people who have subscribed, thank you. Again, that's patreon.com forward slash primer podcast. Now, as much as I would like to ignore it, we can't start this episode without mentioning the elephant in the proverbial room, which is Jeff Bezos's trip to space. Well, okay, he barely went to space, so it's more like a trip to space's foyer. But it got a lot of attention, as the whims of billionaires always do. I hope you were lucky enough not to see how this was covered on television, as what we got was hours of breathless PR for Jeff Bezos, with anchors basking in the supposed glory of a man having so much money that he can be engaged in such an enterprise. It's worth taking in here that Bezos said that really, this is a step toward his vision of moving industry to other planets. Seriously, that is what he said. Specifically, he said, quote, This sounds fantastical, what I'm about to tell you, but it will happen. We can move all heavy industry and all polluting industry off of Earth and operate it in space. We do need to move heavy industry off Earth, because this is the best planet. We've been to all the planets in the solar system with robotic probes. This is the good one. End quote. The thing is, he's always been clear about this being his understanding of the world. Bezos sees no hope for making Earth a sustainable place, for using resources without drawing down the conditions of human life, and that the solution is in fact colonizing new planets. As I've said on the show before, Bezos really conveniently is capital embodied, no limits, always new frontiers, new markets, new niches, never accepting any kind of no. That's his line, it always has been, it's part of how he rationalizes Amazon, which is a very environmentally destructive company. It uses huge amounts of resources to ferry goods around the world at a breakneck pace. So, no surprise to us unlucky few Bezos watchers, but nevertheless, probably news for a lot of people who had never heard him say anything like that before. Bezos also notably said, and I quote again, I want to thank every Amazon employee and every Amazon customer because you guys paid for all of this. He went on. Seriously, for every Amazon customer out there and every Amazon employee, thank you from the bottom of my heart very much. It's very appreciated. Does he believe in the labor theory of value and agree that the surplus he extracts from workers paid for his extraterrestrial travels? Well, his writing on where value comes from suggests he does not, as we've talked about on the show before. But it's one of those things where empty words might be betraying more than is intended. Indeed, the price workers paid for this adventure of his were made quite concrete yesterday. Front of the show, Lauren Kaori Gurley, a reporter at Vice, one of the best labor reporters out there right now, published an article in which she interviews Patty Hernandez, a 23-year-old Amazon worker in Tracy, California, a place not too far outside of the Bay Area. Patty Hernandez miscarried after being denied pregnancy accommodations at Amazon. Here's how Lauren describes what happens. One day last October, Patty Hernandez... 23-year-old packer at Oak 4, one of Amazon's six fulfillment centers in Tracy, felt the sudden urge to go to the bathroom. She dashed across the warehouse to a bathroom stall and discovered blood in her pants. Hernandez was seven weeks pregnant at the time. In the weeks before, Hernandez had pleaded repeatedly with her manager and the warehouse's human resources for lighter duty, 
and submitted a doctor's note to Amazon's human resources requesting pregnancy accommodations. The note, which was obtained by Motherboard, where Lauren writes, said no lifting, pushing, pulling, or carrying more than 20 pounds, and no walking or standing for more than 50% of her shift. As a packer, the last person in an Amazon warehouse to handle Amazon packages before they're loaded onto trucks, Hernandez's job was to lift yellow bins filled with merchandise that weighed up to 50 pounds off conveyor belts on 10-hour shifts. Some bins were heavier than others and were filled with cases of energy drinks, shampoo bottles, and dog food. Amazon's human resources denied Hernandez's doctor's note, according to Hernandez, who said the denial was communicated verbally by a human resources rep. Here's a quote that she gives Lauren. HR just told me there was no specific area for light work that wouldn't require over 15 pounds of lifting, or for me to be off my feet. So, when we think about what it means for Amazon workers to have paid for Bezos' trip to space, his little adventure, that's what it means, paying for it with their bodies and their lives. Now, to this week's guests. We've talked about the spectrum of organizing efforts currently underway at Amazon, both in the United States and abroad. Many people are familiar with the union vote in Bessemer, where workers are organizing with RWDSU, an established union. We talked on a previous episode about the Teamsters and their recent commitments on the Amazon front. Today, we'll hear from two people who are members of another organizing effort, a very different one. Their organization is called Amazonians United, and it exists in several warehouses and delivery stations across the country. One way to describe their approach is that it is guided by a belief in the need for long-term, deep organizing on the shop floor, to win people not just to say, vote yes for a union, but to actually get them to commit to a struggle long-term. It is shop floor based. If unions are what we call workers acting collectively, Amazonians United is certainly a union, but is not filing for NLRB elections. Its focus is waging fights on the shop floor, building up fighters there, and winning those fights, while also coordinating across warehouses. It's a different approach, one that's committed, as one of the people in this interview says, to fighting and organizing as a class, the working class, not just among Amazon workers. But it's also an approach that has a lot in common with the Polish workers we interviewed on a previous episode. So, to talk about their organizing, I'm joined by Jonathan Bailey and Ted Min. Jonathan is an Amazon worker in Queens, New York, and recently ran for city council. Ted Min is a member of Amazonians United Chicagoland. Ted is also one of the workers who filed an unfair labor practice charge with the NLRB against Amazon last year after facing retaliation in the form of intimidation and disciplinary write-ups over taking part in walkouts over what he and his co-workers found to be inadequate COVID precautions. The NLRB found those charges to have merit. So with that introduction, here's our conversation. Jonathan, Ted, thank you so much for being here with me. To start, can you introduce yourselves a little bit? Tell me about the facilities you work in and how long you've been at Amazon. Yeah, uh, I'm Jonathan Bailey. I work uh, in the, the Queens Warehouse here in New York City. Um, I've been there for about two years now. And I am Ted Min. Uh, I've been at uh, Chicago Delivery Stations for about two and a half years. Great. And you're both members of Amazonians United, which is what sort of brought us together today. So can you tell me a little bit about the organization, when it formed, where, and by who? Yeah, I, I think the question is kind of like, who invented pizza first? And it was like, people are going to say Italy, but like, you know, they had different kinds of pizza in China at the same time. And his, you know what I mean? And so I think different, different groups of us were coming together with our coworkers if we wanted to pinpoint like, okay, who came up with the name and where, you know, if you want to 
think about it in a very specific way. Um, there were a handful of us in Chicago that were first addressing management, limiting uh, or taking away our water. And so we met, like six workers met at a Krispy Kreme uh, on the south side of Chicago. And we said, well, if we're going to do a petition, we probably need a name for our group to put on the petition. And um, it was then that we we're like, well, what name should we go with? And, you know, one of our coworkers uh, suggested um, Amazonians United um, as a way of, you know, Amazon talks about Amazonians a lot as workers. And we're like, well, let's, let's reclaim that term and uh, call ourselves Amazonians United. Um, and this was in uh, March or April of 2019. We adopted that name. We started making our, our, you know, Facebook group and social media groups with that name. Um, and then as we connected over social media with folks in Sacramento and in New York, I guess, I guess they liked that name too and decided to go with it as well. <laughs> and can you tell me what was going on with the water? Summer 2019 was fast approaching, uh, which was a very hot summer in Chicago. We're also getting hit by climate destruction. Um, and... Basically, the water situation was they had three or four water stations around the warehouse, except they were always either empty, uh, no cups, dirty, not cleaned. Um, there was stuff floating around. It's like the, the water stations that you see in offices where you like invert a five gallon jug, except there'd be things floating around in it. Um, and then they had a drinking fountain, but the, the filter was it was on like the red light of like replace now because it's clogged up. And so um, occasionally they would have bottled water in refrigerators on the warehouse floor, um, except it'd be there on, for example, a Monday and Tuesday, and then Wednesday through Sunday, because this is a 24-7 warehouse, um, they, would be, uh, they would be consumed and there wouldn't be any bottled water left. Um, and then at some point, this was in um, May of 2019, management, uh, our understanding was they have a budget for these sorts of things and they wanted to buy... Uh, shrimp and crab lunches for themselves instead of bottled water for workers. Um, we saw it, we smelt it, we saw when the delivery drivers were coming with their food, and we saw that our, our fridges were empty uh, of bottled water. And we said, you know, we confronted them. Uh, what's the deal? We confronted them during stand-up meeting when, uh, you know, you have 100 workers from the night uh, around management while they're uh, giving instructions for the night. So what's the deal with water? And they said, well, you all are leaving too much garbage. You're only leaving too many empty bottles of water all over the warehouse. It's too much garbage, so we're taking them away. You're going to have to go into the break room and fill it up uh, in the sink in there. Not a smart move <laughs> by management. Um, workers were pissed, and some of us said, uh, this, this is not acceptable. Um, one of our coworkers passed out uh, and was, were taken away in an ambulance. Um, that was a breaking point for me personally, and... Um, I'm not going to sit idly by while coworkers are risking their lives in this warehouse. Um, and so we talked with some of our coworkers, said, we need to address this. Management isn't fixing it. And someone suggested, let's, let's do a petition. So we ran around. We got, you know, we just talked to as many of our coworkers as we could. We got 150 signatures on a petition for water access. We need bottled water every single day. We need, you know, the filters replaced. We need, um, uh, the right to take a break to drink water when we're when we're dehydrated. Um, we we delivered that petition to management uh, during standup. Um, management got real scared. We're calling their bosses and then went to the store, bought bottled water for us right away. Within two weeks, they installed the new water lines and I think nine or ten 
water stations uh, throughout the warehouse and gave every worker uh, a water bottle to fill up as well as regularly stocking uh, bottled water. So that was like our first win as uh, at the time, DCH1 Amazonians United um, that, uh, that we named ourselves and our, our first win of improving conditions by, by coming together with our coworkers. Jonathan, do you have anything to add about sort of how, tell me about your first involvement with Amazonians United. For us, there are a few things that we noticed that weren't quite right in our warehouse. First, we noticed we were being denied, um, illegally denied our right to uh, safe and sick leave under New York City law. I I think this is like one of those interesting things about um, Amazon and Jeff Bezos and probably the whole esteem, but like regardless of how much people make uh, you know, they're still totally down to break laws uh, in order to like steal from workers making just a little, just, you know, barely over minimum wage. You know, I, I started not long after the warehouse uh, opened. So like, I mean, really, honestly, like right from the beginning, people were like ready to, to say, hey, like, why is Jeff Bezos stealing from us? You know? So we, we we ended up just kind of like having conversations a lot just during um, our breaks. You know, we we'd just talk about these things um, and slowly like, you know, we kind of came together. Um, we, we had like these these demands that we really wanted to put forward. And for us, we saw what was going on in Chicago and uh, Sacramento and, you know, like for some of us, we right away we're like, we we have to be in on that, <laughs> um, and so, um, you know, like some of us reached out uh, and you know asked like, okay, what are y'all doing, and uh, how how can we get in on that? <laughs> and so for for us right away, like we just saw what uh, Amazonians United folks were doing. And so, you know, right away we could see, hey, that's where that's where the wins are are happening. And so we wanted to get involved with that, you know, um, because we wanted to win, too. So <laughs> and tell me a little bit more about the structure of Amazonians United. So, I mean, part of the difficulty in answering this is because you have a very different approach to what organizing looks like than, say, like RWDSU and Bessemer. So I don't want to get into that quite yet, the differences among you and other unions. But tell me, you know, to the extent that you can explain this to people, like, what does it look like to, you know, what's the organization look like? How are you sort of sharing strategy across cities, across regions? And what is the shop floor conversations? You know, how do they go? Well, I, I mean, we're we're like a, a solidarity-based union or minority unionism, we have real relationships that are based on in trust, uh, in our support for each other, in trying to, you know, create better better workplaces, uh, make sure that we're treated with human decency, and um, just create the working environments that we we want to to live under. So, um, I, I think that from the from the get go, really actually separates us more than anything. Yeah, and I I would also add. We are a solidarity union. We're also a movement of workers, you know, Amazon workers that are choosing to organize themselves and who have um, an interest in connecting with us and alignment in, uh, for example, on our on our website, um, AmazoniansUnited.org. You know, our our vision and principles are all there. If you believe these same things, and you're talking with your coworkers at your warehouse 
and you want to start your own, let's say, Facebook group for you and your coworkers, Amazonians United XYZ, that's Amazonians United too. And so I think if we are talking with our coworkers, if we're building relationships, uh, taking action, either you know doing petitions, uh, putting pressure on our management, on Amazon to treat us fairly as workers, to improve working conditions, if we are, uh, you know, having potlucks and cookouts with each other as coworkers, this is all Amazonians United. This is what we're, you know, we, we build relationships with each other. We watch each other's backs. We stand up for each other um, and we fight to get what's fair for us. And uh, not honestly, not, not even all Amazon workers, but all workers as a whole. I think there's uh, Amazonians United. Uh, our, our principles are in full solidarity with workers that are self-organizing and figuring out how to improve all of our conditions because we all have something in common. Um, when I say Amazonians United is a movement of workers, like that's what I mean. And one fight you've been having recently is about mega cycles, which for people who haven't sort of seen these stories about it, um, these are being rolled out at delivery stations nationwide that are shifts that, if I have this right, are from 1.20 a.m. to 11.50 a.m., um, for all delivery stations, which are, you know, the sort of last mile, like delivery sorting, handing off of packages to drivers. Um, and that's been a campaign in Chicago because one of the delivery stations where Amazonians United Chicago Lane was very active was shut down and people were scattered and, and told that they had to sign up for these mega cycles. There was no more flexibility. So can you tell me more about what happened and then how you all responded to the, that and where the fight is now with that issue? To my understanding, Amazon is growing explosively um, and building a lot of new uh, delivery stations, especially, I think, uh, I mean, fulfillment centers as well, but especially delivery stations, the last mile warehouses. Um, it's like, it feels like every month in Chicago, we see in the news, like Amazon bought another warehouse, you know, is opening up another delivery station. And so they're growing at a pace um, where someone someone high up in the company decided, you know, now with other companies like Walmart and others that are also doing two day and in some cases one day delivery, let's try to continue being the, you know, national leader in the fastest delivery um, of the most things to the most households. Um, and whoever was in charge probably went on a computer somewhere and looked at an Excel spreadsheet and said, okay, how can we do that? Oh, let's just move all workers to the worst possible shift so that, you know, someone can place an order up till midnight and then still get their package the next day. Um, because we, as the workers are in there immediately, you know, packaging up, uh, 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 the, 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 the orders and then they're coming to the delivery stations and then we're sorting them and delivering them. And so, um, you know, I, I, I only understand it as a huge, uh, you know, just profit motive for, for Jeff Bezos and everyone else that owns Amazon, uh, uh, uh shares. And, um, what that meant for us is a lot of us were already on an overnight shift. So at our warehouse, we were already working from 8.15 p.m. to 4.45 a.m. And that was already its own challenge, but it still meant that ending at 4.45 a.m. meant if you had to get your kids ready for, for school at 8.25 a.m., you could still go home, take a shower, nap for two hours, and then wake up and then continue with your normal, with your day. Um, or if you had a second job, that was a regular nine to five. You know, again, you get a two-hour nap and you can go to that job. 
Um, but for us specifically, it was in March about that they announced, okay, we're changing everyone to MegaCycle. You can either accept this 1.20 a.m. to 11.50 a.m. shift um, or come April, you're terminated. Um, and so that's how we were told. We had about two weeks to decide whether or not to accept this shift. Um, and uh, that was around when they had closed uh, DCH1 in Chicago um, as one of the older facilities, uh, in Chicago, the oldest delivery station in Chicago, where we are also the most organized. Um, and then they forced us to kind of pick up these mega cycle shifts at other warehouses uh, around the city or be fired. Um, so that's how it ended up happening. That's how we were forced into it. So uh, obviously, a lot of uh, workers were pissed, um, especially our women co-workers, because this change was basically a sexist mass firing of workers because um, in a patriarchal society, uh, a lot of the um, child care and elder care falls on women, especially in this country. And um, that schedule means that you can't be with your kids when they need to get ready. That means you can't be caretaking um, uh, uh, the people that you need to be, um, anyone with a second job, anyone with, um, other demands simply can't make the new, new shift. And so the immediate thought was like, well, I'm, I'm just going to have to leave it and find other work. Um, and because we had been organized and responding and had fought, you know, prior to this, we had, we had one, uh, uh COVID protections. We had one paid time off. We we're like, well, let's at least try, we, we got to fight. Like we can't just always take whatever abuses are, are, are being compelled onto us. And so we started a Stop Mega Cycle campaign, um, which after discussion with our coworkers, um, it had four main demands, which included schedule accommodations so that people could actually work a segment of the mega cycle shift. If they had uh, you know, kids that they had to get ready for school in the morning, bear in mind, you know, this was still mostly e-learning at the time um, with, with COVID. Um, it included a demand for um, paid lift rides, which I know they provide some uh, Amazon workers already in, in New York City, um, thanks to, to our coworkers uh, like Jonathan that I've shared with us. And um, it's especially important because uh, traveling to and from the warehouse at 1.20 a.m., for example, um, in a new neighborhood in the south or west side of Chicago, again, especially our women coworkers, a lot of them did not feel safe walking half a mile, a mile from a bus stop in an unknown neighborhood uh, at 1 a.m. Um, and so that was a demand uh, that we included in our petition. And then finally, also um, paid breaks. Um, actually, uh, the, the 20 minutes that uh, Amazon told us that we we're supposed to be having, many managers were cutting it short to 15 or even 10 minutes. So we kind of included that. Um, and uh, to have a real mega cycle shift differential. So we, we were demanding $2 an hour. Previously, Amazon was paying 50 cents an hour if you worked overnight. We said like, if we're gonna be going on to a nocturnal shift, the damage to our, our health and bodies, the, the just completely disrupting entire lives, we need a real uh, uh, basically hazard pay for working uh, this overnight shift. We want $2 an hour. Um, that is the one demand that Amazon has relented on. Um, I think just last month, um, they announced that they're increasing the overnight shift differential to 
either a dollar fifty for weekdays or two dollars um, for the weekend. So we played a part. We're not going to claim all the credit for that. Obviously, there are many many parts in play, but we did play a part in forcing Amazon to provide a real uh, a shift differential for for Mega Cycle. So that's how we've been fighting it. Talking with coworkers about these demands, asking if they agree, bringing more coworkers together, and finding out different ways we can apply pressure um, to win all of them. It should totally be mentioned as well that like Amazon announced, and especially how most media uh, like echoed it, is that Amazon's giving some luxurious like two, three dollar raise to all of the workers across the U.S. and like. I, I'll tell you, I, I'm constantly frustrated with everything that I read in the media about Amazon. Like, I'm constantly tearing my my hair out uh, over it. It just feels gross and wrong that, like, so many people will echo these, like, really manipulative or, like, blatantly, like, lying statements from Amazon. Sure. I mean, certainly it's always the case that like with Amazon, even when things are sort of wrung out of Amazon, for example, the $15 starting wage a couple of years ago, there's always not only is that often the product, you know, of workers struggling or always, but, you know, even that had fine print where there were other benefits being taken away. So I think you're totally right, of course, uh, that that is that often press releases are then regurgitated as journalism when in fact they are one side of the story, um, which is why I'm speaking to you both. Um, so, Jonathan, I want to ask you um, about like what are the fights? I mean, is Megacycle a big fight in New York for the delivery stations? And then what else are you organizing around? I mean, obviously, the big thing a couple of years ago was the HQ2 fight. Um, so what does the landscape in New York look like now? The largest expansion of a warehouse network within the U.S. that has happened over the, the past year during the pandemic has happened here in New York City like by Amazon. There's been an explosion of warehouses here in New York City. The New York Times recently reported on like Amazon pulling off what, you know, Walmart hasn't been able to do at all and uh what, you know, Target has like been extremely struggling to do. You know, Amazon just moved in like over a year, just boom, all over. With that, there's more workers who've been at Amazon and have experienced the way that that Amazon runs things for workers. There's been like a lot of interest in, in like fighting for, you know, a change of our conditions. And a lot of that is because, uh, you know, people have seen that folks have been fighting. Um, people are, are coming into a situation uh, a lot of times where like folks have engaged in in the fight in, in one way or another and are aware like, hey, you know, Amazon, like, you know, because because Amazon, you know, when we started, Amazon was like stealing our sick leave from us. You know, when somebody sees that, hey, I'm getting an extra thousand dollars per year because these folks fought, you know, for change. You know, that's real. That that's that's bankable. You know, when we all like won paid time off, you know, as like a really big push for those of us uh across the the u.s you know amazonians united chapters like we're, we're pushing for it all over that's that's real it's bankable you can see it in in the numbers in your account and you know for for us here in new york uh issues around payment are especially uh significant because 15 dollars is minimum wage here you know like the 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 fights are tangible you know people can see how a shop floor action results in uh, changes to our conditions. Um, and even if like the demand is something as small as, hey, like, let's get some 
you know, cold water in here for, for us or like, Hey, the fans aren't enough. Um, it's still, it's still something that people experience, uh, engaging in and having a sense of like, Oh yeah. Like my coworkers, you know, they care about making sure that things are good and, you know, together we, we, we look out for each other. So I want to ask you, I mean, Amazon is United. You guys have referenced it already in this conversation has a has a serious commitment to, like you talked about barbecues, like deeper organizing, right? Serious, trying to make these relationships real and lasting. Maybe there's no perfect answer to this, but how do you do that with turnover this high? How do you keep the organization from just treading water and sort of grow shop floor power? Yeah, um, I think this is definitely a very common question. And I think the New York Times also just blasted this out. Amazon has a 150% turnover rate which like I didn't even know was possible. And then it's like, oh, that's annual. So that means like more than 100% of the people that are employed in any given year are leave, leave because more people are hired in and they leave within a year too. And so um, for us, honestly, uh, it honestly just goes back to the principles of, of relationship building and solidarity. I think the main things are building community, culture, um, community, culture, and solidarity. So by community, I mean, um, like at, uh, uh, previously at uh, our last warehouse and the warehouse I'm in now, um, we do weekly potlucks at lunch. People bring in food. We share it. We have some community. Someone that started work this week, uh, if we're talking to them, they can be invited into community with us right away. Like people can be in community with each other within a week of starting the job. Um, if they leave in a few weeks, you know, as people do, the work, the schedule didn't work for them. The work didn't work for them. Um, but as long as we have an ongoing community that, that is in the warehouse, people can be joining and leaving and we still have organization. We still have relationship with each other. Um, culture also, I think is important because culture transcends any individual worker and their time spent at any workplace. And by that, I mean, um, straight up, just a culture of not putting up with disrespect and bullshit, uh, from management, um, management lies all the time. That's the main thing that they do. Um, they tell us that the policy is you only have 10 minute breaks. No, we have 20 minute breaks. Here it is on a news article. Here it is on your policy. Uh, you know, stop trying to steal our time. Oh, oh, okay. Well, we meant you had, you know, 15 minutes with two and a half minutes to walk to and from the break. No, it's a 20 minute break. This is what it says. And so um, the culture that we can build where coworkers see and support each other, inform each other about what our rights are, what the actual policies are, what we can be doing to look out and stand up for each other. Um, again, if someone has to leave due to, for whatever reason, you know, he, um, the culture remains because whoever comes in the next week sees, uh, uh, you know, learns from another coworker. Okay, this is what's up. They're sitting in the break room. They're about to go back. Hey, you don't got to go back so early. Like we got a full 20 minute break, like chill out. Like this is our, this is our time. And so, um, I think the culture persists through turnover uh, together with the community and then solidarity. I think, you know, in our, in, in Chicago, many of our coworkers that are no longer working at Amazon are still in community with us. They're still coming to our cookouts. They're still coming to barbecues because we have real friendships. Like we have real relationships. Right. And so Amazonians United alum shout out. Yeah. Right? So <laughs> it's um, we're not just, and that's, again, why I described it earlier as a movement of workers. We're not just trying to organize our coworkers when they're in the same warehouse as us. 
like we're trying to build with each other as community members and honestly as an entire class like that's that's how we're trying to operate that's how that's what we recognize we need um in order to win and so um turnover definitely sucks um uh but i'm not and i think organized workers and our coworkers are not one to say oh amazon is you know it's too much turnover we can't build anymore like i've heard that from many folks and and i think that's a challenge for uh, traditional forms of unionism that are only thinking, you know, one workplace, one organized shop. Um, I think as, as working people, we can be much more creative and we can actually understand like, what does it mean to truly be in community and solidarity with each other? What does it mean to build sustaining culture? Um, these things can tra transcend high turnover rate. And I think those are the things that we need to be building and encouraging others to build, um, to get more organized and, and sustain our organization and power. Yeah. I, I think that it's super significant that their turnover is so high. You know, one of the things that has to be acknowledged is that 150% like a uh, turnover rate really like translates to like uh, a six month average time. Those higher uh, numbers are like folks who, um, you know, are, are working on the shop floor, then become, you know, blue badges, ambassadors, right? The folks, you know, that are the equivalent of, of what you see on Twitter saying, hey, Amazon's the best place to ever be on planet Earth, you know, and then move to like supervisors and management. Like there's, there's a, there's a group of folks who like, especially through this like explosive growth, uh, stage for for Amazon um, like warehouses like those folks will stay obviously with the company uh, longer but like you know for for the the average uh, Amazon worker who's doing the work of actually getting um, your packages to you like that that turnover is like six months which obviously like management every single time that there's a, a new crop of of workers, you know, they'll be like, uh, you know, suddenly shifting the way that they treat breaks, right? Uh, 20 minute breaks suddenly turn into like, uh, like 15 or 10 minute breaks, right? Um, you know, all of these like little things here and there, they'll, they'll like push on to see like, what what gives in what ways. And, um, you know, it'll be based around the way that everything has been built beforehand that we're able to, um, like maintain, uh, you know, the conditions that we've won. It, it's actually, I think, brings a really important piece into context that, um, you know, for any of us who care about the way that um, workplaces look within the United States, um, you, we actually have to be thinking about, hey, like, how do we actually change the, the broader culture around, um, around like labor rights, around, you know, just fighting for uh, humane conditions, because like, we have to do a lot more than just like organize within our, our, our workplaces, in order to, to win, you know, the changes that we need to see, like, we actually need to win a cultural change, where like, we've developed a culture of, 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 of struggle, like, we're, we're all willing to like, engage in fights, and change the conditions of you know, our workplaces, our apartment buildings are wherever we go, you know, that that's just a part of who we are. And I think that like, there's like a scary part of there being such a high turnover, right? Like, if we don't practice good stewardship over what we have won, 
you know, we can lose it. But like at the same time, there's like this other opportunity that exists by it. I'm a socialist and like an activist here in New York City. Like I've been, you know, fighting uh, fights around gentrification. And like for me, the most interesting thing um, about our biggest fight, you know, in housing here in New York, uh, Amazon HQ2, <laughs> um, is that real estate developers employed this really fascinating strategy, right? There's all of these empty buildings that they're trying to pack full of of highly paid young you know, without kids, you know, workers who like, you know, are making those like six figure salaries and are willing to pay $3,500 a month for like, you know, one bedroom. But like, what was like really fascinating is their whole strategy was, oh, those workers, they stay for a year. And so like, you know, they'll come into Amazon, start renting our apartments for crazy amounts, you know, generating huge profits. And then they'll like leave Amazon and then Amazon will bring in like more tech workers. And so it'll just kind of act as an engine for like generating our profits. And I, I've been just thinking about a lot how like, you know, like for us who like care about actually creating a movement for for workers who can like, you know, that actually changes like the the complete like layout for like the US and like workers engaging in fights. Like we can do the same thing that those real estate developers did with with where with Amazon warehouses. Like Amazon warehouses are a place where like people come in, they feel for the first time fighting for changes, and they see that in real numbers in their bank account, in the conditions of their workplaces. And even if you know, an Amazon warehouse spits them out after six months, if they've experienced that, like all that's going to happen is just a, a rapid like process of developing more people who've experienced fighting for change, like actually felt that experienced it, because it's different when you feel it like the first time that you like stand up to your boss with your coworkers, and you're like, hey, this is not going to stand. And even if it's like some small thing, like we are not going to accept you stealing 60 seconds from our break. Like even if it's tiny, like experiencing that, like feeling that, like it changes you, you know? Um, and like for me, I can't help but see an opportunity in that turnover. Like if we want to like create the the culture of fighting, like, like, hell, there's never been a better time or a better place, you know? That is a very good place to start to wrap up this conversation. I mean, this is an open question, right? And this is part of what, you know, the show is about is sort of investigating Amazon as a space of working class formation, right? Like increasingly, I mean, this is becoming the largest private employer. It is also a place that is churning people, right? And there's, it's an ambiguous place, right? It could be a place of demoralization or it could be something very different that you're describing. And so I think, you know, it's, it's the, that's at least how I'm thinking about it. I'll only speak for myself as like a, you know, a place, a site that is certainly important for figuring out what the future looks like. Um, the last thing I do want to ask you guys before we wrap up is about your relationship with existing unions. This particularly comes up because the Teamsters just announced that they're going to pour a bunch of resources into a newly formed Amazon division, right? And so, um, you know, I guess just broadly, what is your orientation to efforts like that and your relationship between, you know, yourselves and other Amazon workers who might be a part of those efforts? I mean, it's different, like, depending upon, like, uh, where we are, you know, different communities are different. 
But like, we're dedicated towards like building something for us as workers. You know, specifically, you you mentioned the Teamsters. Um, a lot of us are happy that, you know, there there is an orientation towards like um, helping workers engage in, in fights um, that like actually increase their own like agency as as working people. You know, we think that our approach is good. And I think that anybody who's, uh, you know, interested in doing any kind of organizing work around Amazon, I think that, like, they should be approaching things in the way that we have been. And, you know, actually, what we've seen is, like, an increasing amount of that, which is great. And, you know, yeah, there's conversations that have, like, helped inform that for sure, you know? Yeah. um, For me, I mean, my commitment and the understanding that I have from the coworkers that we've talked with about you know, what's our, how, how do we want to relate to unions? Um, several of whom have approached us and effectively asked whether we want to join them or whether we can teach them how to do what we're doing. Um, my commitment and our commitment is to build the democratic bottom-up worker organization that can improve our conditions and ultimately liberate ourselves from oppression and exploitation. Um, I will work with anyone that is genuinely committed to that principle. Um, I think where the kind of complicated, uh, uh, you know, the reason why this question comes up so much and the reason why it, it is difficult to answer is because I think many people claim to have that goal. Oh, we support worker-led organization. Oh, we support your independence. Um, And they say that, and they may be paid by an organization that is led by people that are interested in building their power. And there are are business unions that um, do operate in a top-down way where a handful of people have the majority of decision-making power. Um, And from my perspective, the growth in membership of top-down organizations don't necessarily mean the growth in power for the working class. And so this is a discussion, of course, in in Amazonians United, and and Jonathan referred to how different locals have different relationships based on the communities and and the people that we know. I think it comes down to building at the speed of trust. I think it comes down to um, if a representative from one one or another union, um, Teamsters or otherwise, approaches and offers support or, or, or whatever it may be, um, I think it's a process of sussing out um, what form of support are you seeking to provide? What are you seeking in return? Um, what is it that you're saying that you want to provide and get in return? And what is it ultimately that your interest may be or your boss's interest may be um, if we do build a closer relationship and your boss gives you an instruction, hey, why don't you... Uh, why don't you try to fold Amazonians United into, into our organization? Why don't you get them all to join us? Um, what's, what's this staff person's, you know, wh- where, what decision do they make based on their principles and where and who's signing their paychecks? And so um, that to me is kind of the crux of, of how these relationships can be built. Um, if they're genuinely committed to a, a, a working class organization and power and supporting us, with no strings attached because they are committed to this struggle and transforming society and preventing extinction by climate destruction and the rise of fascism and everything else that comes with, you know, the, 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 the generation of capitalism. Um, great. Uh, you know, let's, 
let's see what's up. Let's see if we trust each other and let's figure out how to do it. Um, if they say they want to support and then we start seeing, oh, it looks like they're trying to co-opt a little bit. Oh, they're starting to claim some of Amazonians United accomplishments as theirs. Oh, they're starting to, um, you know, uh, uh, try to, to, to recruit certain members into their organization that ultimately funnels into a hierarchy in which we do not have democratic or bottom-up power. Okay, now we got to reassess and, and that, that relationship is not going to work out. And so I think it's really, it's that sort of case by case, like I'm not selling out any of my coworkers. Um, you know, we're, we're in this to win and free all of us, not just to build power for a handful of different people. Sure. Is there anything else that you two, either of you wanted to talk about that we haven't touched on yet? Or anything else you'd want people to know, either about yourselves working at Amazon or about Amazonians United? If workers are willing to fight and like, you know, push and like, can like engage in actions in order to win sick leave, you know, then that's what changes. If, if that's what, if they're willing to fight for paid time off, you know, then that's what we get. Like same thing with hazard pay or like the overnight differential, uh, differential like raise or like, you know, shift trading which is like starting to happen all of those things are like just like if if workers like care about them and are willing to fight for them then that's how we like actually win change and one of the things i hope to see more is that like more of the people that talk about amazon actually like focus on the things that you know like workers care about and are willing to fight for and then are winning you know because if we're not doing that then like we're never serving the interests of workers, you know? And like, so far, a lot of the conversations have been like, they've been conversations about like, uh, the way that um, other people's power is affected by Amazon, right? Like, <clears throat> how do like, all the multimillionaire billionaire owners of of other logistics, uh, like companies, how are they affected by Amazon, right? That's the conversation about antitrust, right? Um, how are unions and their their diminishing power uh, affected by by Amazon? Like that ends up being the conversation about the Pro Act, you know. Like we, we there's all of these like conversations that are Im important to have and important to understand. But ultimately, like if what we want to see is Amazon workers winning and like having better lives, like we should be focusing on the struggles that they care about that that we're willing to fight for, you know. Um, the things that, that, you know, like, like, yeah, that, that's the pathway to, to changing things for us. Sure. Um, and I mean, and I'll just say to be clear here, like I am a socialist, I'm interested in, you know, this podcast is largely, a lot of it is about those workplace struggles. I do think there is a connection between like the sort of day-to-day -day struggles on the shop floor and like a, a broader political effort about like, you know, so I do think like something like the project, just cause workers on the shop floor are not concerned about it that is a political question of how do you get you know how do you connect those type those fights and the shop floor actions so i don't think it's necessarily unrelated um, i think that's the question of radicals on the shop floor about how we sort of um, broaden struggles into bigger political fights that's my perspective obviously you guys might disagree with it but i just want to be clear here about sort of how i'm seeing it. i totally agree with you about how much of this is talked about um and so I'm very glad that you all have like spoken at length about the actual fights and victories on the shop floors in, in your warehouses and across the country. Um, Ted, is there anything else that you wanted to say before we I let you go? And I really do appreciate all your time. Um, it goes without saying that you're working at Amazon and so your time is very precious. I understand that. Yeah, this is actually past my bedtime, but I'll, I'll, so I'll try to make it quick. Um, 
But if anyone listening is feeling the confusion or maybe hopelessness about how we can avert the extinction of humanity in the in the the variety the, the the whole variety of existential crises that we're facing now i think this is a very real thing and i i want to address it directly because i think there are likely millions of people I don't, I don't know if millions of people hear this but there are millions of people in this country alone who are like what can we possibly do i'm trying to vote the right way i'm trying to donate the right way i'm trying to show up when i can you know, we had some of the largest mass mobilizations of, of street uh, 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 marches uh, 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 last year um, that we've ever seen in this country. Um, I would also add, um, I mean, if you're already working in an Amazon warehouse, I, I, I hope you heard something here that you like, and I hope you consider reaching out to us if you want to talk more. Um, if you are someone that is working in a nonprofit job that you feel like, you know, might be doing something good, but you're not quite sure whether you're contributing to shifting the actual balance of power in this country where we can build real democracy that can actually avert climate destruction, that can actually avert uh, the crises that are driven from a top-down structure, from you know the handful of rulers and billionaires, from uh, uh, the just the overall power dynamics that are crushing all of us in this country. I, if you have that question in the back of your mind and you're sitting at a computer in an office somewhere, you know, rallying people in your community to make phone calls and emails to your legislators, if you have any, any doubt in the back of your mind whether what you're doing is concretely and materially building the power that we need to free all of us and to fight for the survival of humanity, consider, consider please, Wherever you are, organizing with your coworkers, uh, Amazon is always hiring. They've been hiring like crazy this year at, in mass this year and will be for a long time. Um, consider joining the fight. Consider getting a job, finding a place where you can connect, talk with your coworkers, think about how you can be building community and power as people from the bottom up. Um, and if it does happen to be at an Amazon warehouse, reach out to us. We would be happy to talk with you more about um, how to get some things going. We're in this together. We need everyone. And Ted, what is the email address or the website where people could reach out to Amazonians United? You said it earlier. Uh, but what's it yeah, it's amazoniansunited.org, O-R-G. Um, and, you know, we have forms on there. Uh, we have contact info for our different uh, local chapters. Um, just go to that website. Um, see if you agree with our, our principles and vision. And if you do, you know, please feel free to reach out or fill out a form. Um, and, and we can contact y'all and, and chop it up. Jonathan, Ted, thank you so much for taking your time out to talk to me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah, it was great to be here. <laughs> well, that's our show. This has been Primer. I'm Alex Press, as ever, joined by my producer, Sarah Hurd. Thanks to Jackman Magazine and to Nate Roos for the theme song. Talk to you next week. Bye.